Frankenstein by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Chapter 6. Cavell then put the following letter into my hands. It was for my own Elizabeth. My dearest cousin, you have been ill, very ill, and even the constant letters of my dear Henry are not significant to reassure me on your account. You are forbidden to write, to hold a pen, yet one word from you, dear Victor, is necessary to calm our apprehensions. For a long time I have thought that each post will bring this line, and my persuasions have restrained my uncle from undertaking a journey to El Ogostrat. I prevented his encountering the inconvenience and perhaps dangers of so long. A journey, yet how often have I regretted not being able to form it myself? I figured to myself that the task of attending on his sickbed was devolved on some mercenary old nurse who could never guess your wishes, nor minister to them with the care and affection of your poor cousin. Yet that is over now. Cabell writes that indeed you're getting better. I eagerly hope that you confirm his intelligence soon. In your own handwriting. Get well and return to us. You will find a happy, cheerful home and friends who love you dearly. Your father's health is vigorous. Yes, but to see you, but to re- be reassured that you are well and not the care will ever cloud your benevolent, benevolent countenance. How pleased you would be to remark the improvement of our Ernest. He is now sixteen and full of activity and spirit. He is delirious to be a true Swiss and to enter into foreign service. But we cannot part with him, at least, at least until his older brother returned to us. My uncle is not pleased at the idea of a military career in a distant country, but Ernest never had your powers of vibration. He looked upon study is an odious fretter. His time is spent on the open air, climbing the hills and rowing on the lake. I fear he will come at idler, unless we view the point and permit him to enter on the profession which he has selected. Little alteration has set the growth of our dear children, has now has taken place since you left us. A blue lake and snow-clad mountains. They never change. I think our pleasant home, our contented hearts, are relegated by some immutable laws. My trifling occupations take my, my time and amuse me. I am rewarded for my exertions by seeing number happy, kind faces around me. Since you left us, but one change has taken place in our little household. Do you remember... On what occasion Justin Morosi entered our family? Probably you do not. I relate her history. Therefore, a few words. Madame Morosi, of mother, was a widow with four children, of whom Justin was the third. His, this girl had been the favourite of her father, but through a strange perversity, her mother could not endure her, and after the death of Morosi, Morosi Ritz treated her very ill. My aunt observed this, and when Justin was twelve years of age, prevailed on her mother to allow her to live at our house. 
The Republican institutes of our country have produced simpler and happier manners than those which prevail in the great monarchies that surround it. Hence there is less distinction between the several classes of its inhabitants and their orders, being neither so poor nor so defies, despised. Their manners are often refined and moral. A servant in Geneva does not mean the same thing as a servant in France and England. Justine thus received in our family learned the duties of a servant, condition which in our fortunate country does not include the idea of ignorance and a sacrifice of dignity of a human being. Justin, you may remember, was a great favourite of yours. I recollect you once remarked that if you were of ill humour, one glance from Justin would dissipate it. For the same reason that Escobaro gives concerning the beauty of Angelica, he looked so frank-hearted and happy. My aunt conceived a great attachment to her, for her, by which he was induced to give her an education superior for which she had at first intended. The benefit was fully rewarded, repaid. Justin was the most grateful little creature in the world. I do not mean that she made any professions. I never heard one pass her lips. But you could see through, by her eyes that she almost adored a protectress. Though her disposition was gay in many respects inconsiderate, yet she paid the greatest attention to every gesture of my, of my aunt. She thought her the model of all excellence and endeavoured to imitate her phraseology and manners so that even now she often reminds me of her. When my dear aunt died, Everyone was too occupied with their own grief to notice poor Justin, who has attended her during her illness, was the most anxious to affection. Poor Justin was very ill, but other trails were reserved for her. One by one, her brothers and sisters died. Her mother, with the exception of her neglected daughter, was left childless. The conscience of the woman was troubled. She began to think that the deaths of her favourites was a judgment from heaven to chastise her partiality. She is a Roman Catholic. I believe her confessor confirmed the idea that which he had conceived. According a few months after your departure for an illustrat, Justin was called home by her repentant mother. Poor girl, she wept when she quitted our house, too much altered since the death of my aunt. Grief has given softness and a winning mildness to her manners, which were before remarkable for vacidity. Nor has her residence at her mother's house the nature to restore gaiety. A poor woman has very vexedly in her repugnance. She was sometimes begged Justin to forgive her unkindness, but much oftener accused her of having clashed the de- caused the deaths of her brothers and sister. Potential fretting at a length threw Madame Burroughs' writs into decline, which at first increased her in reability, but now she is at peace forever. She died at the first approach of cold wind 
weather, beginning on its last winter. Justin's cat returned to us. I assure you I love her tenderly. She is very clever and gentle and pretty, extremely pretty. As I mentioned before, in mine and her expressions continually remind me of my dear aunt. I must say also a few words to you, my dear cousin, of dear, of little darling William. I wish you could see him. He is very tall for his age, with sweet laughing blue eyes, dark eyelashes, curly hair. When he smiles, two little dimples appear on each cheek, which are rosy with health. He's also one of or two little eyes that Lisa Baron is her his favourite, pretty little girl of five years of age. Now, dear Victor, I dare say you wish to be indulged in a little gossip concerning the good people of Geneva. A pretty Mrs. Manfield has already received the congressional visits of approaching marriage of a young Englishman, John Melbourne born Esquire. Her ugly sister, Maron, married M. de Villiard, a rich banker last autumn. Her favourite schoolfellow, Louis Manon, has suffered several misfortunes since departure Cavell from Geneva. But he had already recovered his spirits, reportedly the point of marrying a very lively, pretty French woman, Madame Tavernera. She is a widow, and much older than men of art. But she is very much admired and a favourite with everyone. I have written myself into better spirits, dear cousin, by anxiety returns upon me. As I conclude, right, dearest victim, one line, one word will be a blessing to us. Ten thousand thanks to Henry for his kindness, his affection, and, for, and his many letters. We are sincerely grateful. Adieu, my cousin. Take care of yourself. I entreat you. Right. Elizabeth de, de Venza. Geneva, March 18th, 17. Dear Elizabeth, I exclaimed when I read her letter, I will write instantly. I will relieve them from the anxiety that you must feel. I wrote, and this is assertion greatly visited me, but my confidence has commenced. I am proceeded regularly. In all other fortnight I was able to leave my chamber. One of my duties of my recovery was to introduce Cavell to several professors. University in doing this underwent a kind of rough, rough usage, ill befitting the wounds that my mind had sustained. Ever since the fatal night, the end of my labours, and the beginning of my fortunes, a scheme of violent apathy, even in the, to the name of the natural philosophy. When I was otherwise quite restored to health, the sight of a chemical instrument would renew all the agony of my nervous systems. Henry saw this and had removed all my apparatus from my view. He had also changed my apartment. I perceived, for he perceived that I had required a dislike for the room which had previously been my laboratory. But with these cares of Cavell were made of no avail. When I visited the professors, M. Wooderman inflicted torture when he praised with kindness and warmth his tremendous progress and obedience and sciences. He was soon perceived that I disliked the subject, but not guessing the real cause, he attributed my feelings to modesty. I changed the subject for my improvement to the science itself of a desire so evidently sore. 
for drawing me out. What could I do? He meant to be please be tor- he tormented me. I felt as if he had placed carefully one by one in my view those instruments which were to be I afterwards using used in putting me to a slow and cruel death. I withered under these words, yet that dared not exhibit the pain. I felt Clivel, whose eyes and feelings were always quick in disturbing the sensation of us to decline the subject, a lying in excuse, his total ignorance and a conservation took a more general turn. I thanked my friend from my heart. I did not speak. I saw plainly that he was surprised, but he never attempted to draw my secret from me. Although I loved him with a mixture of affection and reverence, then that knew no bounds, yet I could never persuade myself to find to him that event which was so often present my, to my recollection, but which I feared the detail to another would impress more deeply. M. Kemp P. Or M. P was not equal docile in my condition of that t- of that time, almost insupportable sensitiveness. His harsh, blunt encomiums gave me even more pain than the benevolent approaching of M. Wollerman. The fellow, cried he, why my cabal, I assure you, has outstripped us all. Ah, stare, if you please, but he's never as true. A youngster who, but ye a few years ago, believed in Cornelius Agrippa as firmly as the gospel, has announced himself on the head of the university. He's not soon pulled down. We shall be all of countenance. Aye, aye, continued he, observing my face expressive of suffering. I am Frankenstein, he's modest, and it's excellent quality, a young man. Young man? should be defiant of our sons themselves. You know me, M. Cabell, I was myself when young, but that wears out in a very short time. M. Cretty had now commenced an eulogy on himself, which happily turned conversation for a subject was so annoying to me. Cabell had now never surprised my taste for natural science, his literary pursuits different wholly from those which that had occupied me. He came to the university with design, making himself complete master of oriental languages. As thus he should open a field for the plane of life plan of life that he had marked out for for himself, resolved to pursue no inglorious career. He turned his eye towards the very east as affording scope for his spirit of the enterprise. The Persian, Arabic and Sanskrit languages were engaged his attention. I was easily induced to enter on the same sub- studies. Idleness had ever seemed irksome to me, and now I wished to fly from reflection and hated my former studies. I felt great relief in being the fellow people. My friend found not only instruction but consolation in the works of the Orientists. I did not, like him, attempt a crucial attempt a crucial knowledge of their dialects, for I did not contemplate making any other use of them than a temporary amusement. 
I have read merely to understand their meanings, and they well paid, repaid my hour labours. The melancholy smoothing, their joy elevating to a degree which I never experienced in study, the authors of any other country. When you read their writings, life appears to be constantly in a warm sun, and a great garden of roses, in the smiles and frowns of a fair enemy, and the fire that consumes your own heart. How different from the mainly and heroic poetry of Greece and Rome. Some have passed away in these occupations, where I turned Geneva as fixed, the latter end of the autumn. But after being delayed by several accidents, winter and snow arrived, the roads were deemed impassable, and my journey was retarded until the ensuing spring. I felt this lay very bitterly, for I longed to see my native town and my beloved friends. My return has been only been delayed so long from unwillingness to leave Cavell, a strange place before he had become acquainted with any of the inhabitants. The winter, however, has spent clear cheerfully, although the spring was unnamely late. When it came, its beauty compensated for its dilatoriness. The month of May avoided commence, and I expect the letter daily, which has to fix a date for my dispatch. The heavenly proposed approaching Petrin Tor and the environment rooms are in a in a strat I am that I might bid a fair so farewell to the country I had so long inhabited. I accede with pleasure in its proposition. I was fond of exercise, and Gavel had always been my favourite companion in rambles. In its nature, I hadn't been had been along, taken along the scenes of my native country. We passed a fortnight in those preambulations. My health and spirits were long restored, and I gained additional strength from the so laborious air. I breathed the natural incidents of our progress. The conversation of my friend, study had before secluded me from the intercourse of my fellow creatures and rendered my, me unsocial. But Vale called forth to the better feelings of my heart. He even taught me to love the aspect of nature, the cheerful faces of children. Excellent friend, how sincerely did you love me and endeavour to elevate my mind until it was down level with my own, your own? A selfish pursuit had crammed and narrowed me until your gentleness and affection warmed and opened my senses. I had become the same happy creature who, a few years ago, loved and beloved by all, had no sorrow nor care. When happy in nature had the power of bestowing on me most delightful sensations, a serene sky of reverent fields filled me with ecstasy. The present season was quite divine. Flowers of spring bloomed in the hedges, although summer, those of summer were already in bud. I was undisturbed by faults, which during the preceding year pressed upon me, notwithstanding my endeavours, throw them off with incredible, with incredible burden. How rejoiced in my gaiety, and sincerely sympathised with my feelings, he thought himself to amuse me while he expressed the sensations that filled his soul. The re- resources of his mind this occasion was truly astonishing. Conversation is full of imagination. Very often, in imitation of the Persian Arabic writers, he invented tales of wonderful fancy and passion. Other times, he repeated my favourite poems, which drew me into arguments which he 
we supported with great indignity. I returned to our college on Sunday morning. Our peasants were dancing, and some everyone we met appeared gay and happy. My only spirit, own spirits were high. I'm bounding along with feeling of a bridal joy and hilarity.